Welcome to the Money Insights Podcast, where high income earners come to learn wealth building strategies that will take them from high income to high net worth. With your hosts, financial and wealth building experts, Christian Allen and Rod Zabriskie. Welcome into the Money Insights Podcast, where we talk all things money and business. My name's Christian Allen, and I'm here with my co-host, Rodney the Pods of Brisky. Rod, what's up, my friend? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing really good. I'm looking out at the snow, and I'm kind of getting into the Christmas spirit. So go. Uh, it's nice. It, I don't normally like the snow. In fact, I hate the snow, Rod. If it was yeah, like that's me, the first time I've ever heard here in the yeah, last couple of right. days when you said that. So I would prefer to head south for the winter, uh-huh. um, but based on circumstances, my family, I can't really do that right now. I'm going to have to yeah. wait till my kids get a little older. Migration um, isn't quite, quite, quite going to fit. Not there yet, but... but Rod, if it's going to be cold and, you know, miserable, it might as well be like snowing because at least that's like yeah. pretty and that kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we've got quite okay, a bit. Uh, yep. Okay, Rod, let's not talk about snow. Let's talk about our interview today with Lynette Zhang because Lynette is an absolute firecracker. Yep. She had, uh, she really brought the stuff. Like she has strong opinions. Um, but it comes with a lot of experience and a lot of thought. Uh, yeah. She's a really smart person. I thought it was a cool interview. What was your takeaways? Yeah, I, I totally agree. She, um, I like. She'll talk about her kind of lifetime experience and and knowledge and research and bring it hard. Get ready to to learn all about re- why we all should have precious metals. Yeah, that's a good point. I probably didn't even say that Lynette is an expert in precious metals. And so and she's very passionate about the the role that they can have and and she would believe will have moving mm-hmm. forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, OK, so Rod, why don't you give us Lynette's background, a little bit of her bio before we get into the interview? Yeah, so she is the chief market analyst at ITM Trading. And she comes from a background in banking and even Wall Street and kind of brings all of that together. Um, and obviously, like just from what we've said, you, you probably gathered this, but, but she has well uh, researched in central banks in just kind of the whole way that the, the currency model has worked in the past, how it's working now. And, and then you'll be interested to hear about her thoughts you know, about the future. Okay, Rod, I don't know if I have anything else to say. I think the interview speaks for itself. I just thought she was, I thought she was an awesome interview. Okay, Rod, let's move into our interview with Lynette Zhang, Chief Market Analyst at ITM Trading. Okay, we are very excited to have with us today, Lynette Zhang. She is the Chief Market Analyst at ITM Trading, has a ton of experience. And so we are incredibly excited to have her with us. Lynette, how are you? Thanks for hanging out with us. I'm great, and I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Okay, so we're going to jump into and talk a lot about precious metals and currency and things like that. Um, This has been a topic I've been intrigued by and just wanted to find someone uh, to talk about it for a little while. So I'm I'm glad that this worked out. Um, Before we do that, tell us how you got into this space and maybe just a little bit about your background. Oh, okay. Well, I've actually kind of been in this space pretty much my entire life because my uncle was a major antique dealer 
uh, up in New York. And so he taught me how tangible assets move from undervaluation to overvaluation to fair valuation, et cetera. Um, and then I got into banking. Uh, I studied business, business finance. I became a stockbroker and I came to ITM in 2002. Once my formulas confirmed what was actually happening in the currency markets, because I started studying currencies and currency life cycles in 1987. So I was there on Black Monday, which was the single best day I could have ever been a stockbroker. What an experience. Uh, but it was still early enough in the 80s where you could actually talk to the head of like currency trading at Shearson. I was at Shearson. And uh, she gave me an incredible lesson so on, on currencies and how they work, but I see patterns. And so when I started studying the currencies, I started seeing these repeatable patterns that happen as currencies age and evolve. And so, um, yeah, that's, I'm so thankful for that <laughs> because if I hadn't stumbled across non-dollar denominated bonds, which sent me into currencies, I wouldn't know what was happening right now. But because of that, I totally do know what's happening right now. Well, that's a lot of experience. So you've been in the money space, oh, yeah. basically your entire working life. And entire, even before I was even, but you're right. You went back to your dad and antiques your entire right. life. And, um, but you've also been with ITM for a long time. So significant yes. experience here as well. Okay. So I think that's a good lead into the first question that I've been thinking about. Um, obviously right now, inflation is a huge hot topic mm -hmm. issue, right? Inflation has yes. been going crazy. The feds raising rates, trying to do something about it. You can debate whether that's working at all, but why don't you talk us, to us a little bit about, um, what you expect to see kind of in the coming months and in 2023, just based on your lifetime of experience. Right. Well, number one, the big problem, and, and aside from all the money printing of the Fed, uh, but the big problem is there's virtually no purchasing power left in the currency. And that's official. You can go on the FRED, Federal Reserve Education Department, and search out purchasing power of the consumer dollar. And you can see that there is officially roughly three cents left in the purchasing power of the currency. So we have an inflation and that's due to inflation, which was baked into the currency. Mm -hmm. Now, the tool that the central banks use to regulate the rate and speed of inflation, which is actually the big monetary experiment, um, are interest rates. And since 2008, we've been anchored at zero. And now globally, central banks are trying to lift off. But... The, this is a debt-based system, and it's based on constantly compounding and growing more debt. So that's why we've had, you know, this run of interest rates declining, but the markets cannot tolerate higher interest rates because of the massive mountain of debt, whether it's government, corporate, or individual, that has been grown. So um, additionally, all of these, all of this debt has interest rates attached to them. 
In the 80s, they created LIBOR, London Interbank Offer Rate. But during the crisis, the financial crisis in 2008, 2009, it was leaked that uh, these rates were being manipulated because they are a stated rate. So in other words, a small group of bankers get together every morning and go, gee, if I were going to loan you money overnight, this is how much I would charge you. Or if I were going to borrow money overnight, this is what I'd be willing to pay. Mm. And um, shockingly, and I'm being really facetious, <laughs> um, it got leaked that they were manipulating, traders were manipulating these rates for their benefit. Oh my gosh. So, <laughs> so then they had to come up with central bankers had to come up with a new interest rate benchmark. And they did. And it's different in different parts of the world. In the US, it's called SOFR, S-O-F-R. And it is supposed to be a market rate based on actually trading of bonds, except that they have um, removed from that little mix a whole bunch of bonds that apparently they didn't want those interest rate fluctuations in there. So I don't know how accurate it is. Hmm. But the problem is that no matter how much they jury rig the new rate, it does not match the old rate. So I know this is a little complicated. Mm, it's so, fascinating. Oh, it is extraordinarily fascinating. But here's the problem. The markets were not adopting the new rate. In other words, attaching them to all those debt contracts, right? And they were mandated that they, that they could only use the SOFR rate starting the first of this year. So there are roughly 610 trillion dollars worth of contracts that are still attached to the old rate and have to be converted into the new rate. And the deadline is June 30th of 2023. Now, obviously the market didn't think that they could do it. And when they tested it in October, 2019 with 80 trillion, it was a big fat fail. And the reason why I know it was a big fat fail is because after they announced it, everything went dead silent. And then three weeks later, because this was this transition was supposed to happen in 2021, then they postponed it to 2023. Are you hearing anybody talk about this? I'm not. No, why no. aren't they talking about it? This has never been done before. And the problem is that 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 shift revalues all of those contracts so if a bank or or a corporation that's holding these contracts are valued based upon their holdings we're about to get a tectonic shift there mm. and it might only be pennies but when you go into the trillions and even, dare I say it, quadrillions, because this is all notional, which means we don't really know how much it's going to shift. Mm. I mean, that could easily topple a system. So when you ask me what I think is going to happen in 2023, I would tell you that I believe there is going to be a big, huge crisis mm. that happens before that. 
so that a lot of the things are hidden and justified and it's all about misdirection. Hmm. Mm, I like the boldness. I like it. I mean, it, it doesn't sound like bold. it doesn't sound like a great like a great outcome to be fair. Like that's not doesn't sound exciting, but I like that you're willing to take a bold stance because I think there's not enough people who are willing to do it. I, I'm telling you, there has never been one doubt in my mind, but that I have been groomed for this moment in time. Mm. You know, and there are a lot, a lot, a lot of very, very smart people that I talk to all the time. But somehow the fact that a currency could have a life cycle and that this could be the end of its life cycle doesn't quite fit into that normalcy mix when in reality, you know, 1971 was also a shift from uh, at least a quasi gold standard onto a pure debt-based standard. So, you know, I've lived through it. I'm old, I'm 68. I'm old enough to have lived through it and been old enough at that time in my life not to understand what was happening, but definitely to be aware of it. So I have, I have a quick question on LIBOR then. So if, sure. if the, clearly there was a, a move to go away from it, but, but like you said, they haven't been able to, so is it a little more transparent in the way they've been managing it since this kind of debacle in 2008 <laughs> or, or how is that going at this point? Well, like I said, are they talking about it? No. And, you know, you're looking at derivative contracts that, you know, there was a derivative implosion in 98 with long-term capital management. And what derivatives, I, I, you know, if you've talked about derivatives on the, on the show, it's just a big, huge leverage bet. And you can't convert the derivatives into the underlying asset. It's just based upon that price action, right? Yeah. And so in 98, the smartest guys in the room created these, what they thought very conservative speculative derivative contracts and that blew up in our face and um you know then 2000 happened so there's lots of interesting things around that but that was the first derivative implosion and wall street and the central banks saved the world so people don't even know that that happened but it did we were on the brink of a complete collapse then the second and and did they put in oversight Oh, heck no. The markets will just, just manage themselves. Don't worry about it. And then after that, we had the run up to 2008. And that was the second derivative implosion based upon mortgages, but derivatives. And, you know, did they really put a lid on that? Oh, no, no, no. So we've got a whole bunch of derivatives that were created between 98 and 2008 that are called legacy derivatives that can never settle because they're between like two entities. And that so they just have to keep feeding the beast so they stay floating. But that was the lesson really from 2008. But just keep in mind, they're still out there and they can never settle. It's impossible. Now we've grown more derivatives but what they did was they came up with accounting fixes um, 
and that really started in 2013 on netting and compression. So what that makes it do is it look a lot smaller than it is, and it actually hides the, it's like an iceberg. We, we can see a little tip of it, but most of the danger is hidden underneath the markets. And the Bank for International Settlements just came out with a report on December 5th on something like the $85 trillion, which is simply a guesstimate of hidden uh, dangers in the, in the foreign exchange markets. So that's just one of them. Hmm. So, uh, and they're quite concerned about it. And frankly, so am I. So we have to have a huge crisis to shift into the new, well, really social, financial, and monetary system um, an economic system because we have no purchasing power left. So we got to attack principal, which is coming up. That's what negative rates are about. I mean, they've been around since 2009, but you know, and they didn't work, but let's do it some more. Let's, let's create these CBDCs and, and we can just have our finger on the pulse and change it second by second as it's warranted. Oh yeah. That makes me feel, this is why I own gold. <laughs> and silver physical in my possession without any counterparty risk yeah so let's let's go there because the yeah well let's talk about the digital though because uh, yeah. there are many movements towards us you mentioned the cbdc obviously that's a thing right in in many countries already thing. <laughs> and then uh, and then even the decentralized uh side of of digital so let's talk about that. Compare those two and, and kind of talk to us about your thoughts as, as it relates to digital currency. So are you are you referring to the difference between the private cryptocurrencies? Yeah. So, let, so let's say, yeah, Bitcoin as an example against the CBDCs. Well, I don't have a popular opinion on this, but I certainly <laughs> do have an opinion on this. All right. We're ready. Um, We're excited. <laughs> okay. Here you go. Uh, well, actually... Um, I've been following Bitcoin since it was seven bucks a coin. Yeah. And so early in its career, I do not think that it was co a coincidence that it came out in January of 2009 and quantitative easing came out in March of 2009. Also, if you read the 1996 uh, NSA white paper on how to create a mint, you will notice the outline for cryptocurrencies. Hmm. So I hold, and, and having studied currency life cycles and how they make this transition from one standard to another standard and get the population to just go along, what they know is they have to keep things as normal as possible. So there really is no doubt in my mind but that this was introduced to get adoption, to make it easier to shift from, um, from the current system into the CBDCs. And I have not seen, and believe me, a lot of people have tried to change my mind. And I'm not saying that they're not here to stay, because I know that they are. I just don't know what all the fallout is going to be yet but I do know that we're in a massive wealth transfer. 
Now, we just came out with the digital dollar, even though the Fed says they have no intention, they, they don't have this on their blah, 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 garbage, garbage, garbage. Their job is perception management to keep you thinking in the way they want you to think so you move forward in that way. But we've gone from a complete shift in money. So when you're talking about original money, physical gold, physical silver, mm -hmm. if a government wants to tax you on this system, you know about it and you don't like it. So they needed to, to slowly take us off this system, which actually put the power in the public's hands. Because if you did not like what the government was doing, you would just go into the bank with, I don't have it with me, but a $20 bill and walk out with a one ounce gold coin. And then that created restrictions. Mm -hmm. So this is labor-based and savings-based. It's a commodity money that's used across every single sector of the global economy. That's why it's never gone to zero. Okay. And like I said before, right, the way tangibles run, you know, from undervaluation to fair valuation to overvaluation to fair valuation to undervaluation in a trip, you know, in a, in a constant figure eight. So this is private. You hold it, you own it. It runs no counterparty risk. They transitioned us into Federal Reserve notes, which are debt instruments, right? And in that way, once they started controlling the interest rates, they were able to, you know, we, they got us first, we had gold certificates and silver certificates, right? Well, you could go into the bank and exchange them. Then they gave us Federal Reserve notes, took away our ability to exchange it. But hey, people were already used to those dollars, right? And of course, they took the gold and backed the new currency with the gold. So you listen to Roosevelt's fireside chat and he says, and this money is backed by good money. Yeah, the gold they confiscated from the public. So, um, but with the dollars, they could control inflation more. So it gave the government a tool of inflation with our, a tool of taxation, which is the almost invisible inflation tax without having to go through legislation. How mm -hmm. handy is that? Okay. Now we want to go into programmable money, right? So you're losing your purchasing power over time with federal reserve notes by design because inflation was baked into the, the system. It's not a monetary phenomenon. It's a fiat money phenomenon, government debt-based monetary phenomenon. So you still had some level of privacy because if you hold the bills, you hold the cash, it's not really visible to them. But we go into this next system that's programmable money. So you don't do what we want you to do. Boom. That's a button push and you are done. You, they can dictate where you shop, when you shop, how often you shop. They can tell you how long the, the money has a lifespan. And here's the scary part, because I just did a research paper not that long ago on the CBDCs. And originally, money had four functions. It was a tool of measure, a medium of exchange, a short-term store of value, so you're fairly paid for your labor, and a long-term store of value, so that no matter when you use that money, 
you're being fairly paid for your labor because that's what money represents, right? Yeah. Well, they I can't tell you when they did this because I was shocked that they didn't. I couldn't find out exactly when this shifted. So they scrubbed all their data, but they took away the long-term store of value. Of course, anybody that uses dollars knows that they buy less and less over time, right? So mm -hmm. at least it's more honest. But when they come into the CBDCs, they are scrapping the short-term store of value. This is from them. This is not my opinion. This is from them. Because when you make that deposit of your paycheck into the bank, that's already trading at negative rates because they push that button because they want you to spend. So now you're not even going to be short-term fairly paid for your labor and money will simply be, if they have their way, will simply be a tool of measure and a tool of barter. And the one big thing that I have been, and I'm not done ferreting this out yet because we aren't done with all of this yet, but I'm like, okay, what can justify the creation of this digital currency, right? And why is that so buried? Why is that so hard to find out? Let me tell you. First, they were talking about uh, debt, that it would be based on debt, right? So that means they have to clean up all this old debt that's unpayable so we can go into the new system based on debt. But the most current work that I've seen on it, it's going to be based on transactions. So I want to buy a boat. Boom, boom. The Fed will create new money for that boat. Now, they might not create new money if I want to buy gold, hmm. right? But they will create that new money if I want to buy a boat. Well, let's think about this. How much value can something like that have or hold? So they're taking away your ability, the individual's ability to plan for the future. And they've already made it complicated. I mean, <laughs> they've been manipulating things uh, officially it was long before this, truthfully, but officially since 1948, we have officially been in a series of financial repression that forces people to go out and take more risk if they want to maintain their standard of living because of the inflation that is built into the system. Okay, Lynette, for clear, just, just to create super clarity, Please. What do you see as the rule or the reason or the role? Maybe what do you see as the role of gold and silver moving forward? Right. Obviously things are moving more digital and you're talking about how things have been. And, but what do you see as like the role of it? And maybe, maybe it's the why, right? Why would I do Absolutely. get gold and silver in a situation in an economic world that we live in? That is a fabulous question. Because what they want us to believe is that it's the, an old relic. But yet we have just seen global central banks buy more gold than they ever have since they started tracking. So the reason why you would buy it would frankly be the same reason why the central bankers are buying it. And it's so that you maintain your purchasing power and therefore you maintain your choices because this truly is decentralized. And according to the Bank for International Settlements, 
central bank or central bank. Uh, this has, this is the only financial asset, the only financial asset that runs zero counterparty risk. It is also mm -hmm. a proven inflation hedge. It is also the go-to safe asset in uh, a geopolitical event. And here's my favorite one. Gold held at home runs no political risk. So you do this to, to be out of the system that is collapsing and I don't care if the stock market goes to the moon. The real trend is the purchasing power. Because if you look at Zimbabwe, you can be a billionaire and you can't afford three eggs, right? So it doesn't matter how many pieces of paper or nominally what that number looks like. It matters what you can do with this. And this ensures your purchasing power because it has the broadest base of buyer simply because it is used globally in every single sector of the global economy. So when you're going into a fight, what do you want to go in with? One weapon or an arsenal? Here's your arsenal. Here's your arsenal. Okay. I like it. Okay. Um, I have, I have a couple questions. I, I'm going to change up the order a little rod. So I think, um, it makes sense since we're on this topic to talk a little bit about, and you've obviously been hitting on this indirectly, but some of the reasons why the U.S. dollar isn't as strong as they would lead, lead us to believe. <laughs> well, the reason is because we're at the end of the life cycle, right? When you hear them talk about a strong dollar, it's in relative terms. So it's one fiat currency, government debt-based currency against another government debt-based currency. And recently when they raise the interest rates, so when the Fed raises interest rates, in theory, and sometimes in practicality for a minute, when they raise interest rate, that attracts buyers of the dollar and dollar debt because you're earning interest on that. See, so they poo-poo gold because you don't, gold does not have to pay interest because it's not a risk asset, right? But they raise those interest rates. Here's the problem though. And so we're now in a period where the dollar is declining against those other currencies because as the world reserve currency and everything being in relative terms, it was costing other countries more because they're, they're, I mean, it's, it's a little complicated actually, but um, we used to be in a free floating, we were in a tethered system, a pegged system from 1948 to 1971, where all currencies were pegged to the dollar. And then we mm -hmm. were exporting inflation. And so what we're doing when we're raising rates now is we're actually exporting deflation. So, it's not really, a, it doesn't matter how many of those dollars you have. It matters what you can buy with it. We are at the mm -hmm. end of the currency's life cycle. They have virtually, you know, and I mean, really everybody should. If you said to me, okay, you only have one chart to work with. And I like my charts because I think it makes it very visual what I'm trying to say. 
But if you said only one, it would be that purchasing power chart because it says it all. So why? Because we're at the end of this currency's life cycle. That's why. And they have to burn off this unpayable debt. And so if they can make this currency work, and this is part of the strategy, I mean, it's genius and it works for individuals too. Who's bought a house? And when they first bought the house, like, oh my God, those payments and oh my gosh, am I going to be able to do this? And then after some time goes by, because of actually your wages have inflated, you know, hopefully your wages have inflated, things have shifted. Now it's not so much to take care of that debt, right? Mm -hmm. So it's the same thing for the governments too. And what they do is they repay that debt with dollars that have less and less value, but they don't ever really repay it because otherwise that's, that's QT. <laughs> that's taking the money out of the system. So it's really this, that's the problem. The system is based on constantly compounding the debt. Hmm. And in fact, I think it was like 2009. I could be off on those dates a little bit, but I did a study because at that point, if you look at the um, at the deficits, we were running at about, and this was after the great financial crisis and all the money they pumped mm -hmm. in, and we were running at about a trillion dollar deficit, but yet we were servicing 13 trillion in debt. <laughs> now it's 31, but I mean, at that time it was about 13 trillion. And I thought to myself, well, hmm, because a deficit is supposed to be based on the difference between the income and what they're spending. But if we've been maintaining pretty reasonably well, a little bit of deficit, this was a massive deficit and we're servicing 13 trillion. What is that? Well, mm -hmm. you can go in and look at all of that data. And what I discovered, and I sent it to an accountant friend because I am not an accountant. So I just wanted to make sure that I was looking at it correctly. And when you look at the income and you look at the expenditures, what I saw was that we were actually compounding interest because we were not paying all of our debt, but we were having to pay the interest on that debt. Now, they only do that annually because they don't really want you to know. Mm. So, but you know, for an individual, if you don't pay all your credit card and you have interest that starts to go into your principal balance and you do that every month, what happens? Now you're just paying interest compounding. upon interest yeah. upon interest. Yeah, it's compounding. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, it, it really is not rocket science. And it's pretty obvious when you look at the data, not my data, their data. That's why they call me data gal. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Okay. So then if kind of going on uh, back to the precious metals, if, if this is mm -hmm. kind of the, the safe haven uh, hard mm -hmm. asset world. And Christian was mentioning to me, he'd, he'd seen a, a podcast you did where you were talking about how to buy gold and silver the right way. Mm -hmm. so that would imply that there's a wrong way to do it. What, so talk to us about the right way. Well, the right way needs to be about you. That's the right way. So you want to establish, okay, what am I trying to accomplish? It could be to sustain your current standard of living. It could be, and that should be a foundation for everybody, quite honestly. Uh, beyond that, it could be to grow your wealth base. And beyond that, it could be as a legacy for your heirs. 
which happens to be very important to me because I have children and grandchildren and uh, ultimately, hopefully, great-grandchildren. And so based upon the repeatable patterns that happen 100% of the time, over 4,800 times where this has happened, even though I can't guarantee tomorrow, I'm thinking if we're doing the same thing, the most likely outcome is we're going to get the same result. So using all of that data, what we do is we have a strategy that I frankly created for myself before I even came to ITM. And we tweak it based upon your goals, your circumstance, what you have to work with. And so it's the right tool for the job. Because I can guarantee you, I have hung pictures using the back of my shoe, right? And it it can work. Mm-hmm. However, if I've got a hammer, it just works better, faster, cleaner. So the right way is to put your goals first and then build the portfolio based upon that. Okay. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I want to talk more about um, precious metals as a part of our personal financial world. But before I want to get another clear, just another clarification. We've talked, we touched on a little bit, but can you just hit on the difference between gold fiat money and central bank digital currencies? Well, yes, because you know, gold, again, no counterparty risk. It is truly decentralized. And when you have it in your possession, it is invisible like this you're looking at this coin, I'm holding it, but the system does not know about it. So it is truly Uli private and I can use it wherever I go. And I can, Mm. it's a great way to hold a lot of wealth in a teeny weeny package. Now you talk about the fiat money. Well, that's controlled by the central banks, but when they want to do something and they have a policy move, it takes right now roughly 18 months working through the system for them to know if they got the results that they actually wanted. So they can control its value by the interest rates and they definitely pick winners and losers. And you and me, the public, we are the last ones to get it when it has when it has the lowest level of value, everybody around the central bank. So the corporation banks, they get it first, (laughs) then the government gets it. Right. And, and by the way, those corporations pay less interest on it than we pay. Right. But Hey, we're taxpayers, so we can pay that. interest. (laughs) Um, And it ultimately loses a hundred percent of its value. There is not without exception, There is not one fiat currency that has ever survived the test of time, right? So understand it's got inflation in it. But if you hold the cash, you can still preserve your principal, at least at this moment. That's not going to be true moving forward. But at this moment, if you hold the cash, you can preserve your principal, not your purchasing power. Going into the CBDCs, that gives them immediate and this is these again this is their words not mine it gives them immediate uh, the ability to modify their policy moment by moment and they can control since it's programmable 
They can control everything about it. If you don't like their policies and you are verbal, they can push a button and cut you off. We kind of got a little snickersnack of that up in Canada with the trucker strike, right? Mm -hmm. And social scoring, that makes that so much easier, social scoring, so that you're at different levels, what have you. Um, So, yeah, I don't like the CBDCs at all. Not, Not at all. I might also say that I think that the, you know, if, if you think about it, the people that, that buy cryptocurrencies and are attracted to that area have the same kind of mentality as the people that buy gold and move into that area. So I don't know. It is just a possibility that the cryptocurrencies came out to divert the money that would have gone into gold and really mm-hmm. been out of their possession. I don't know. I, that, I, that's an opinion. Interesting. It is interesting, isn't it? Yeah, because <laughs> now now it gets us to and and I I don't know how deep you want to go into your formula, but um, just you know the question becomes uh, like how much of a person's net worth does it make sense to have in precious metals? Well, I will start by saying everybody must do whatever it is that they are comfortable doing. Mm-hmm. For me personally, especially since I understand the system mm-hmm. and I watch it all the time, I am a hundred percent. I don't own any fiat money products other than some cash. You know, I am a hundred percent in the physical. That has not always been true. I don't anticipate that always being true in the future. But at this point, because I seriously am crystal clear on where we are in this trend cycle and what's going to happen. The most important thing for me is to, you know, maintain my wealth and actually even grow it and secure my standard of living. So it isn't just metals, but, Mm -hmm. you know, look at how you live your life. And we got a little snickersnack of that back in what, March, April of 2020, right? What happened to you? How did you feel about that? I, because of, I mean, there was no doubt in my mind in 2008 that the system died. And so I was living in a little two bedroom condo, getting, getting ready to retire. And I was going to travel, you know, go someplace, stay there for three months, learn how to cook their food, learn how to do their art, whatever, and have a nice little life like that. Just close the door of the condo and off I go. Instead, when 2008 hit, I bought a property, it's just a half an acre, and it's in dead central Phoenix, but it's big enough for my children. I mean, not now because they have kids and and all of that, but at the time, uh, and I am not a gardener, I am, but I have become an urban farmer uh, to grow food because food becomes the single biggest issue for people during these transitions. And you might see globally that food has indeed become a big issue, it'll be an even bigger issue. So uh, I converted my little half acre into an urban farm. Originally, my goal was to feed 20 people, but now I think I could probably feed maybe 100 people uh, with it. Um, So it's food, water, energy, security, barterability, which for me is silver, uh, although anything physical 
and any talent you have is also barterable. Uh, barterability, wealth preservation, which for me is in gold, community, because one person cannot do this all by themselves. And actually that's why I'm here today, because this is community and shelter. Those are the things that we all need to secure a reasonable standard of living because I can't give you a lot of guarantees, but I'll give you this one. Everybody's life standard is about to change. And e even me. And then in 2020, I'm walking around my property thinking, oh, thank goodness I did this because I didn't suffer from any shortage in the grocery stores. I have chickens. I have ducks. I have, you know, plenty of plants and fruit. And so I was good. But then there were riots right near my house mm -hmm. and right near my children's homes. And I thought, hmm, there's my whole security. So it took a while, but I found a bug out location. I've got 41 acres on the top of a mountain and I'm actually building a fully sustainable little community up there. Mm, very cool. Um, Lena, are there any other asset classes? I mean, obviously you love precious metals. If you, let's say that someone has that part in check, right? They've got some precious metals on tap. What other investment asset classes would you recommend? Or do you think um, could make sense based on, I shouldn't even say that, could make the most sense based on what where you believe the economy is? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> so, no, I've been a banker. Precious I, metals are bust. I mean, here's the thing. You want to buy real estate now? You want to catch a falling knife? <laughs> I've done studies on what happens to real estate during these transitions. And globally, on average, uh, 25 ounces of gold or the equivalent could buy an entire city block buildings and all. So do I want to buy that now or do I want to accumulate gold and buy it then? Because mm -hmm. we are going to see those patterns, right? Do I want to buy stocks? or bonds, or ETFs, or annuities, or mutual funds? No. First of all, they're riddled with derivatives that are a time bomb that will explode. No doubt about it. This will be the third explosion. Plus, again, what am I going to do? Trade something? I mean, if I buy a stock, I can't go to that company and say, that's my brick, right? It's an intangible. It just, I just can't. And people ask me all the time, well, what about gold miners? Well, okay, let's take a look at Ghana, who just imposed, they don't, they're not calling it a confiscation, but I would call it a form of confiscation. They just imposed a 20% um, tariff. All of the gold miners in Ghana, big and small, have to uh, sell to their central bank in the local currency, which has lost 57% officially, so it's worse than that, without any premiums, right? They have to sell them 20% of all of their refined gold. That's a confiscation. So, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, there. I've been doing this my whole life and I have been groomed for this moment in time. And there is not one little doubt in my mind about what's happening and where we are. We're going into 2023. Hey, maybe I'm wrong. 
because certainly they've gotten so many things so right that they will be able to pull off this over $610 trillion transition in contracts without a hitch. Nobody's going to know about it. I mean, mm. I can't guarantee anything other than the fact that I show up and I do the work and I'm paying attention. But why would I want to own anything that I could only convert into these things <laughs> they can destroy at will? I love I mean, it. Seriously. So yes, I'm I I'm all in. I'm all in. Okay, so let's say uh, I am convinced that I definitely need to own some precious metals. What are the various ways I can hold it? Well, you, you can do it inside of an IRA, but here's mm -hmm. the reality. If you don't hold it, you don't own it. And it does not matter what your perception is or your opinion in a court of law. So the way that I personally prefer to do it, thanks to history, is physically in my possession. And I will also say that I personally, and this has not always been true, but it is definitely true now. I personally only hold it in collectible form. So this particular coin happened to be minted in 1894, okay? Pre-1933. And the reason is because my uncle Al, one day my parents, I'm 10 years old, my parents, he's my favorite uncle, and we're at his house. And he says, come here, I want to show you something. And we go in a back bedroom. And in that back bedroom, he's got two tall floor safes. And he opens the doors and he says to us, if anything should happen to me, Aunt Bertie will be well taken care of for the rest of her life because of this. So, of course, I turn around and I look. You couldn't fit one more of these coins in that vault. There were probably, knowing what I know now, I would say minimally three monster boxes. So at least 3,000 ounces of gold coins in there. But here's the thing. That was 1964. I was born in 54. That was 1964. It was illegal to hold more than five ounces of gold at that time. Mm -hmm. And yet he had at least 3,000 ounces that was perfectly legal because when they did the gold confiscation in 33, Treasury Secretary Wooden, he didn't want to give up his gold. He knew what they were doing. So he wrote that little caveat in there and made these collectible. Mm. So that he could and his friends, those that knew about it, the public didn't realize it, but those that knew about it could continue to collect gold without oversight because jewelers still could get their and dentists. So other industries could get their hands on gold since it's used all over the place, but it had oversight. He didn't want oversight. So look, people say all the time, oh, well, they would never do that again. But historically, they have done it more than once in this country. And certainly, uh, globally, it's it happens all the time. It's happening in Ghana right now. It happened in India in 2016 when they, when they uh, converted, what, 82, 90% of their currencies, they demonetized it. So um, I personally 
find it hard to believe that they've been confiscating your wealth since the day you were born, but they're going to stop right at the last second and go, oh, wait, no, you know, you get to keep that. So I want to be in the category where the guys that write the laws or have the ability to influence those that write the laws can, and some of these coins go for $15 million. Well, I'm not spending $15 million on a coin. I don't have to, but it's in the same category. That's what I want. So everybody's got to do what they're comfortable doing, but this is, I have lived and breathed this my whole life. And I didn't even remember that incident until one day when I was writing. And I said, if you were alive like I was in 1971, and then I went, oh, yeah. So there are reasons. You get enough age on you, you can look back and you can go, oh, well, that's why that had to happen. So talk to us a little bit about the, the shift in value of the minted coins compared to bullion. Does, do they move on a different cycle? Yes, they definitely do, because bullion is kind of tied to a degree, although there's recently been a decoupling, to the spot market. We've been trained that that spot market is gold, right? They don't mm -hmm. say spot gold, they say gold. Mm -hmm. So you get that in your head that, oh, that, that's gold. Why you would trust Wall Street, I have no idea, but okie dokie. They created the spot gold market to manipulate the price so that they could even when they allowed you to hold it again, that you didn't want it. And that's what they do. So what happens in the bullion market, so that's just like a brand new American Eagle or Buffalo or even a Canadian Maple Leaf, anything like that, it kind of runs with the spot market up or down, but then that premium is going to shift based upon supply and demand. So you are going to pay a premium. And if there's greater demand, like there's been, the premiums will get bigger and bigger. The same thing with silver. I mean, spot is somewhere around 24 bucks, but for this and, and understand this is not the area that I work in. So I could be completely wrong about pricing, but I think that this right now is somewhere around 35 bucks, hmm. right? And it has nothing to do that we don't make any more money because of those premiums. It is really a true supply and demand market. They can create as many spot contracts as they want, and they have. But in physical, there's just a limited amount. I don't care how much it is, how much that is. It's just a limited amount. And all the gold ever, ever pulled out of the ground can fit in an Olympic-sized swimming pool. That's it. So it's very finite um, and it's also recoverable. But with the, with the collectibles, it goes on a different scale. So they're the same gold content, they're the same weight, they're the same all of that, but like MS-62, Mint State 62, well, back in the day, these things were intended to go out in circulation. They were used mm -hmm. as money, right? So they weren't thinking about the collectible market. They would have thrown them in a pouch. They would have stacked them. You know, they're not going to be that careful with them. And so there's blemishes on it. So when you hear someone say bin state or you see MS, that means it has never been in circulation. Hmm. Then that number afterwards, in this particular case, it happens to be a 62. Mid state runs from 60 to 70. 
So that would mean this has a lot of blemishes on it, even though it's never been in circulation. And the higher you go, the fewer the blemishes. I've never seen them in state 70. I have seen up to a 67, but they're very, 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 very rare. Hmm. Interesting. So therefore, um, these move by quality, which is that mint state piece, and and rarity, which there is this is probably a higher pop coin would be my guess on this. So the higher the population, in other words, the more there are of that particular coin out there, the closer it will move kind of with spot. So, it, and that, that goes back to, mm-hmm. well, how do you know what to buy? Right. That's right. why you start with your goals, right? If I'm doing this for legacy, this is not what I'm buying for legacy. This is not even what I'm buying for growth. This would be something that I would buy if I want to pay off a mortgage, right? Mm. Or something like that. So you start with where you're at and then you build the portfolio to that. Um, But the premiums just recently, let's see, when did I do that event? They they broke out from a, a cup formation, which is an accumulation pattern, they broke out from a cup formation maybe, when was that, Edgar, like two months ago, three months ago, something like that. So they just, they've just decoupled from the, the regular market and gone on to new highs. And the ultra rarities, which is how you would track the, the people that get to write the rules or influence those guys, that broke out even longer and that's just going straight up. So it means that no matter what you see on the spot market, you got to look at the physical market to know what's really happening. And the decoupling is already taking place. Hmm. Okay, Lynette. So my experience meeting with thousands of people over the past 15, 20 years is that precious metals is a popular kind of doomsday counter, right? So from a practical standpoint, um, Let's say that, you know, we have this major financial crisis and maybe my dollar isn't what it was worth before. Like from a practical standpoint, how does, how would you think, how do you think someone would actually use gold and silver to accomplish what they need to in that moment? Oh, that's a great question. That's a great question. Um, The way that you would do it, it kind of depends on what's going out there. When a massive crisis happens and, you know, and you first are in shock, you're going to go pretty local. That's why I said barterability. Mm-hmm. So for a minute, I mean, let's say there's a grid strike or, or something like that. You're going to have to be really local. So some of this bartering could happen directly between two people. You've got apples. I've got silver. I'm going to trade you right. my silver for your apples because it's universally accepted versus let's say I have strawberries and you have apples and you don't want my strawberries, then I have to go find what you want to trade with. So this is universal Hmm. and it would be just direct between us. But let's say that the system didn't go down and we have to pay our property taxes, for example. And that's part of the strategy is ensuring that you can always pay your property taxes. Well, you would simply then liquidate the gold that would be 
delivered to you in the local currency, whether it's a CBDC or this stuff, whatever, and then you would pay your property taxes. Gold is the most liquid asset because it has the broadest base of buyer. I don't know why I really never hear anybody talking about that, but it's a fact. It's a a super interesting perspective. I I certainly would not have thought about it as the most liquid asset. So interesting. Uh, Okay. You can always sell gold that, you know, think about the pawn shops. Think about, you know, you can always sell your gold. And look at what happened with Russia going around the sanctions. And what if they start to accept gold for their oil, which they very well may. So, Mm. you know, and, uh, and keep in mind, a rising gold price is an indication of a failing currency. Do they want you to understand that the currency is failing? No, because then you make different choices, right? So they have to suppress it. And what we're looking at, it's it's like a spring, right? So you hold your hand on a spring and you, you hold it flat, you hold it flat. And then when you let this go, what happens? It shoots in a direction, either up or down, but it shoots. And what people really need to understand is that when we go into, I, there's no doubt in my mind, and I, and I hope I'm wrong, but I don't think I am, because this is what history tells me, is that we're going to end up in a hyperinflationary depression. And when all confidence, when the public loses all confidence in the currency and the current powers that be, what they will do is they will do some overnight resets where if you have, I mean, the most on average is a thousand to one. So if you have a thousand bucks in the bank, you go to sleep one night, the next morning you wake up, you have one, right? One dollar. So, but what they do in those overnight resets, they take this crap that has no intrinsic value and they revalue it against this, which is all intrinsic value because of its broad use. And then you see it start to go toward its true fundamental value, which is somewhere at this point north of 15,000 bucks an ounce. Mm -hmm. So at 1,800, 1,900, 5,000, 10,000, it's a bargain. Why do you think the central banks are taking advantage of it? They're manipulating the price down. Not that it matters to them because they got this, right? They can create as much of that as they want. FYI, if you're not watching this, Lynette is literally printing money on our show. I'm playing central banker. Playing central bank, uh, printing money. Okay, before we let you go, Lynette, two quick questions. One, um, how do people get more educated on some of this stuff, right? Like you've talked about it. You've talked about a lot of the information and and ideas that you're talking about aren't broadly um, spoken of. Where can people go to just get more information, one, and then tell us also how we can get in contact with you? So if I'm interested in doing something more with precious metals, how do I do that? Right. Well, number one, we have two I'm at ITM Trading, as you said in the beginning of the show. So it's itmtrading.com. We also have two YouTube channels, one that deals with all the economics. And um, I'm pretty prolific. 
So there's constantly new material coming out based upon what's happening. And my goal is to translate financial noise, similar to yours, financial yeah. noise into understandable language, right? So that's one of the reasons I was so excited to be here today. Um, and so you can start to educate yourself. There's, there's just a, a depth and a wealth of knowledge in that channel. And then the other channel is called Beyond Gold and Silver because you do need more than gold and silver to be able to be comfortable and sustain a standard of living. And so that deals with the rest of my mantra, food, water, energy, security, barterability, wealth preservation, community, and shelter. We, we go through that and we try and meet you in both channels wherever you are and uh, pretty accessible. So we also love like human contact. We have a Calendly where uh, you can just call and talk to one of our consultants. We've been around since 95 and almost everybody here has been around for a very, very, very long time as well. I'm year 2002, but there are a lot of other people that have been here since, you know, mid 2004, five, six. So have that conversation. If you don't know, I find that interestingly enough, it's a little challenging sometimes for people to know what their goals are. So we have questionnaires, we have formulas to help you figure out what do you need and how much gold do you need to make sure you can pay your property taxes, to pay off your mortgage, to educate your children. If you've got chronic illness, I mean, all of that, it's a very mm -hmm. comprehensive piece and we you that's, that's where you go first. Okay. And so, that's it. Tell me the website address again. It's uh, itmtrading.com. Okay. Or you can even call us at 888-696-4653. Awesome. And you can get in contact with ITM. And here's the thing. I think that it is one of those, this is one of those conversations that a lot of people are thinking about. We're in unprecedented, strange kind of financial economic situations. And, yeah. you know, a lot of us are trying to figure out how to navigate that. This could be a powerful way to help someone do that. So Lynette, this has been a super fun conversation. Um, I really appreciate you coming on. I know Rod does too. Absolutely. Uh, is there anything else, just because you've been so passionate about kind of the message is maybe, maybe to finish it off, what's the one thing that you hope people would get from our conversation? Well, I think that they should start looking. I hope that they get that they should be owning physical metals in their possession and not, you know, ETFs or any of these garbage things that Wall Street has created and that they stop waiting because a lot of times people procrastinate. Oh, well, maybe the price will go down. Maybe it's a bargain. It's a bargain. Just please get it done. Get it done. Mm, good advice. Okay, Lynette, this has been fun. We'll have to chat again. Thanks again for coming on. Okay, we appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Money Insights Podcast. To learn more about the financial and business strategies discussed in this show, please visit moneyinsights.net. The views and opinions expressed on the Money Insights Podcast are not intended to be individual financial, tax, or legal advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making financial decisions. And if you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This will help others find the show and learn wealth-building strategies for themselves.
Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode.